Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee. And I want to say a big thank you for listening in on our weekly radio broadcast. This radio broadcast is one of many options that our church is currently offering as ways for you to stay connected with the life of our congregation in hopes that your faith can be encouraged and equipped as we try to live faithfully through the week. If you're curious to know more about those other opportunities or just to learn a bit more about our congregation, then I highly encourage you to go to collegehills.org where you can find out a bit more about our family of faith. We would love for you to come and join us whenever you can. We meet at 1401 Leeville Pike on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings. And you can find out more about those gathering times and different worship and class options, again, at collegehills.org. We are moving through a series that is focusing on the one another passages that we find in Scripture. One of the things that we will see a lot in the New Testament is this focus and emphasis on how the early church treated one another. In fact, one of the most frequently used teachings or commandments of the early church was for them to treat one another in a certain way. And so in this current series, we're looking at different passages of the nature of that one anothering described in the early church. And today we're going to be looking at the topic or the theme of serving one another and see what serving one another might mean for us today. Our passage today comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 28. Matthew 20, 17 through 28. While Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves and said to them on the way, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity to read your word and to 
read the testimony of your son and the early church as they grew and learned to be faithful to you and to your calling. And as we wrestle with this passage today, I pray that you would help us to also learn how to be faithful to you and to each other and to the calling that you have given us. God, I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and be transformed by it more into the image of your son Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. One of the things that I'm enjoying about being a parent is discovering what my child gets interested in. I'm always intrigued to see what she finds interesting, what she wants to play with, what she wants to watch, the activities that she gravitates towards. And I'm never quite sure from day to day or even week to week what the the new interest is going to be or what she's going to get really obsessed with. And sometimes those obsessions last for a really short amount of time, and then sometimes they can last for many, many weeks. Over the last several weeks, she has currently and is currently obsessed with these magnetic tiles. They are these squares and triangles that have magnets on the edges of them, and you can stick them together and build houses or castles or simply stick them together to form whatever shape that you might want. And when the object is all together, it really looks like a a stained glass cube because each of those magnetic tiles is a different color. Some of them are blue, some of them are red, some of them are yellow, some of them are green. And so she'll get in the floor and she'll put them together and she'll form a cube or a house or whatever she wants to try to create in that given moment. But what she also does with these tiles that's really interesting is that she will occasionally simply hold one up and look through it to different objects throughout the house. She may look out a window or look at a lamp or look at a kitchen table. And it's always funny because when she looks at them, she'll always say things like, Daddy, the window's blue. Or, Daddy, the lamp is green. Or, Daddy, the kitchen table is red. And I always smile and laugh because I know that those objects aren't really blue or green or red, but simply because she has that magnetic tile up against her eye and she's looking through it, everything takes shape through that certain color. Everything that she sees is colored by whatever tile she has in front of her. And I couldn't help but think of that humorous thing that my daughter is currently doing as I thought about our passage and our theme for today. Because one of the things that happens a lot in the ministry of Jesus, one of the ways that he teaches and tries to develop his disciples, is that Jesus is constantly teaching his followers and trying to train his disciples to see the world in a different way, to hold up a certain set of glasses, so to speak, 
to see everything else. It might be more accurate to say that he removes some old glasses, some old filters, in order to give them new filters or new sets of glasses, new ways of seeing the world. And the reason why I say it's probably more accurate to say that he replaces them is because all of his disciples had lenses that they viewed the world with. They had certain ways of viewing the world, viewing each other, viewing God, making assumptions about how things should operate based upon those filters and ways of seeing the world. And many times throughout the Gospels, we see that there is an old way of seeing, and Jesus wants to give them a new way of seeing. And I think that's a helpful way to think about what is happening in our passage that we read here in Matthew chapter 20. Because there is a misunderstanding or a misperception that Jesus wants to correct for his disciples. What happens in this scene is simply a mother of two of the disciples, James and John, ask Jesus to give them a special place in his kingdom. She wants them on thrones on his right and left. And it's obvious that the sons want these thrones as well because they do nothing to object from their mother's request. They also want this special place in the kingdom rule of Jesus. Because the way that they viewed kingdoms, the lenses that they carried when it came to kingdoms, was based upon the assumptions of the world in which they were raised about kingdoms. The world around them said that the most powerful had prized places to show their greatness. The world around them said that if you had power, then the goal was to get more power. When it came to kingdoms and power in the time of the disciples, the point was to climb the ladder, so to speak, even if other people had to become rungs on that ladder for you to climb. And so, of course, the other disciples hear this and are angry because they also live in this world, and they know that if James and John are on those thrones, then that means they can't be on those thrones. If James and John are flourishing in the kingdom, then that means they are diminished. If James and John have that power, then they know that they're going to lord their power over them because that's how kingdoms worked. Those were the lenses that they saw this idea of kingdom through. The disciples get into an argument based on the rules and regulations of their world. They make assumptions about the kingdom of Jesus based on the kingdoms around them. They know how power works in the world around them. Power is used for self, not others. Power is used in ways that will promote my position, my authority, my status, not yours. They stand here in this moment in Matthew 20, perceiving the kingdom of Jesus in a certain way, and it's a misperception. They're having a moment where they see things with old lenses, and Jesus wants to give them new lenses. Jesus wants to give them new lenses for seeing kingdom. He's trying to teach them to think about power in terms of his example, not the world's example. And he does this twice, and it actually serves as a kind of frame to our passage in Matthew 20. 
At the beginning of the passage, Jesus makes a clear statement about his identity and mission. He says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised. This is the third time in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is given a similar statement. Jesus is trying to drive this point home to them about who he is and what he's doing. Jesus is trying to help them to see that he is going to the city to give his power away. Then at the end of the passage, he again makes a statement about his identity and mission. He says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a release for many. Now, I intentionally use the word release there because I think it better communicates the sense of the original word used in this passage. Jesus' action serves as a releasing moment for many people. Jesus is trying to help them see that the life he has, he is giving away for the sake of others. Jesus is trying to help them see that the power he has is being released for the sake of others. Or to use the imagery of Jesus in this passage, when it comes to the life and power that Jesus has been given, he is acting like a cup and is pouring out his power for the sake of others. The life that Jesus is living, the way that he's handling power, looks more like a cup and less like a throne. That's the fundamental difference between how the disciples view kingdom and how Jesus views kingdom. And those are two fundamentally different ways about thinking about the power that you have. There's a big difference between throne power and cup power. When the disciples think of life in the kingdom, they think of throne power. They think about taking the power they have and only trying to get more power, about sitting on special seats in the kingdom of Jesus. They think of themselves as a throne, so to speak, towering, dominating, and lording over other people. They think of the rulers around them who lord power over the other people around them even if that means those other people are diminished. Throne power looks at power and only asks the question, what can I get? How can I help myself flourish? But when Jesus thinks about life and the kingdom, he thinks about cup power. He thinks about taking the power he has and pouring it out for the sake of others. He thinks of himself as a cup emptying pouring out and sacrificing for the sake of others. He thinks of his own rule as a kind of rule where the power he has is given so that others can flourish. Cup power looks at power and only asks, what can I give? How can I help others flourish? What frames this entire discussion about life in God's kingdom are these two statements about the Son of Man, about King Jesus, and his life serving as a set of lenses for these disciples. The frame of this passage, in other words, is to become a new set of lenses for the disciples to view kingdom and power through. Jesus wants his disciples to use power in such a way that it reflects how he 
uses power. He wants them to view kingdom through the lenses that he sees kingdom through as well. He wants them to become the kinds of people who use their power in such a way that it helps those around them to flourish. And by flourishing, I mean about helping people to become all that God wants them to be. And for Jesus, this is to start with his disciples. It's to start with how the disciples treat each other. It's to start with the church. The church, for Jesus, is to be a community where power is used to help others flourish. As some of you know, I have an older sister who's four years older than me. As a younger sibling, I learned something during the course of my life that I'm sure that other younger siblings have learned before. That whenever you get in trouble, it's always your older sibling's fault. (laughs) Even when they're not around, it's still their fault. You can still blame them. Now, the reason I know this lesson or this tactic, so to speak, is because growing up, I got in trouble on a regular occasion. And on those regular occasions, there would be kind of a, a rhythm or a ritual that would happen between me and my parents and sometimes my sister, whether or not she was there or not. We would get into trouble and we would, as they say in the South, get a talking to. Some of you listening understand that phrase, get a talking to. And I have these distinct memories of being pulled aside by my parents and being told as a child, we do not behave like that. And my parents would say we, not because they were a part of the trouble, but because they were trying to make a point about our family. Our family doesn't act like that. To which I would say, you mean the way she was acting. (laughs) They didn't like that answer. No, it was always we do not behave like that. And I can't help but have that image in mind as I read this passage. I cannot help but think and see Jesus as a kind of parent, a loving parent who hears this argument between his children, and so he decides to pull these 12 aside and have a talking to. And so right after he pulls them aside, right after he describes the way of throne power, Jesus says to them, We don't behave like that. Or, to use a bit closer translation to what you read in your Bible, it will not be so among you, not so with you, but it shall not be so among you. Jesus is focusing on the community of the disciples and interaction among themselves. This community, the church, is the primary focus of Jesus here because Jesus knows that our witness among ourselves will impact our witness beyond ourselves. Jesus makes clear that the church is not to be a place where throne power is our lens through which we see and operate, not throne power where everyone's concerned about titles and positions, where everyone's trying to use power for their agenda, preference, and interests, where power is being used in such a way that is ultimately diminishing others in the community. Instead, Jesus imagines 
and desires a community based upon cup power dynamics. A community where my power, whether it's education or money, is used for the sake of others. Where my power, be it a family name or connections or longevity in a community, is used for others. Where my power, be it a title, rank, or gifting, is used for the sake of others. And though I've not intentionally used the word yet, that is ultimately what service is. Service is an act of cup power because service is about pouring out what I have for others. Service is about taking my influence and leveraging it in such a way so that others can flourish. Service is more than just good deeds, though it is that. It's really about using our power for the sake of others. And that, that is one of these central traits that is to define the community of faith. To be a community of cup power, where power is used in ways to help others flourish. Jesus desires the church to be this kind of place where handling power looks different than the world. It shall be different among us. I believe this moment here towards the end of Jesus' life would be one that the disciples who were here listening in, having their lenses replaced, would think of many, many times. I believe after the death, burial, and resurrection, their minds would think back, not just to the entire ministry of Jesus, but to these final moments with Jesus. Things he said, things he did. And I can't help but imagine those disciples remembering this moment where they were bickering and fighting for position and Jesus pulling them aside and having this huddled up conversation about how they are to reflect him to each other. And the way that they are to reflect him to each other is through serving one another. And as those disciples huddle up in those early chapters and acts in that upper room waiting and praying for the Spirit, as they have the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on them, and as they become this vibrant community of faith, that one of the very first things that they do is to place this emphasis on serving one another on using their power in ways to help one another flourish, thrive, become all that God wants them to be. And as this community grows and it spreads and they spread out over the Mediterranean with all of these churches, time and time again, we read this instruction for the early church to serve one another. Time and time again, the teachers, the leaders of the church, continue to remind the church to use their power in such a way so that others may thrive and flourish. 
Because I think these early leaders and these early Christians knew something that we know to be true. Service shapes relationships. When you are served by another, it changes your perspective. When you serve another, that changes your perspective. When you take away those old lenses of self-serving behavior and you replace them with other-serving behavior, you begin to live differently. You begin to look for opportunities to where you can help and assist and support. You develop new ways of seeing the world and new ways of being in the world. I am grateful for the many men and women in my life who have helped me to replace old lenses of how to use power, self-serving throne power, and have helped me to see new ways of using power for the sake of others. I think about a couple at my congregation who picks up a widow every Sunday morning to bring her to church because she can't drive herself. And whether they know it or not, in that moment, things look different among us. I think about groups of parents and kids who go to a local senior living facility and they spend time leading them in worship, spend time doing arts and crafts with them and for them. And in those moments, things look different among us. I think of men and women in my local congregation who go and pick up people who have developmental delays in order for them to come here and have a class and worship together at a congregation. And in those moments, things look different among us. I think about a recent phone call that I received from an individual who was aware that there was some financial needs for a family who needed counseling but couldn't afford it. And so they offered to pay for their counseling because they knew that they were a family at their church who needed some help. And in that moment, things looked different among us. And every time I see these acts of service... It gives me new lenses. It gives me new ways of seeing the world. And what always happens is that it doesn't just impact how I see in the world. It impacts how I live in the world. It impacts how I treat others within the life of my church. It reminds me of the kind of person that I'm called to be the kind of person that Jesus is calling his disciples to be in Matthew 20 and is still calling us to be today, to be men and women, to be a community of faith that serves, assists, supports, 
and gives in ways so that everyone in the community can flourish, so that all of us can strive together to become who God wants us to be, yes, as individuals, but also as a community. We can look all around us and see these examples of where the church is being the church, being the church who uses power in ways that help others among us to flourish. And we all have examples that we can think of through the past. But I also want us to look to the future as well. What might it look like for you and me to continue to be this kind of community? Who knows what kind of church God might shape if we choose to be these kinds of people. So may we be the kinds of individuals. May we be the kind of church community that gives witness to the truth of the gospel that all of the members of the body of Christ can and should be honored and allowed to flourish. And may we use our power in our time and place so the people will know that things are different among us. Amen.